Welcome to Rail Pass. I'm your host, Sarah Hardy, Division Manager of Visitor Experience with the Southern California Railway Museum, located in Paris, California. Join me as we learn more about the Railway Museum and meet the people who volunteer, work, play, partner, and engage with our museum. All aboard for our next great adventure. Today we're going to explore the museum's Santa Fe Rail Post Office Car 60. And to help us understand this piece of equipment a little better, I have asked Chuck Painter here today. We spoke to Chuck in an earlier episode about volunteering at the museum, so I encourage you all to listen to that if you haven't yet. As a volunteer, Chuck works in a lot of different facets of the museum, and one of those is working to restore and share the history of the Santa Fe Rail Post Office car. So, before we get started in learning about this car, Chuck, can you give a little introduction for some of our first-time listeners? Hi, I'm Chuck Painter. I've been a member here since the late 80s, but I've really been active in the past 10 years. I've been on the RPO, I'm thinking, five or six years. Time passes really quick around here, so you don't really remember. Uh, I fell into that by accident. I'm also, of course, involved in events, finance, board, I think I've got my toe in just about everything. <laughs> You're very involved. All right. Well, thank you so much for coming out again um, to talk about this. I really like this car. Can you start by giving our listeners a brief history on on it? Well, it actually, let me give the whole history of the concept of a railway post office car. The experiment was first done in the 1840s in North Carolina. Never really caught on. During the Civil War, there was service from Chicago to Clinton, Iowa, railway mail service. The government was so impressed with it, they said, we should take this nationwide. The Railway Post Office Act was passed, I believe, in 1866, created the railway mail service. And that was a creation of a nationwide system of railway post office cars. At the peak, there was close to 200,000 route miles covered basically every line in the United States. And the timing couldn't have been better. The Transcontinental Railroad was finished, stitched the country together. Because prior to the creation of getting the railroad done to the West Coast and the RPO, it would take months to send a letter, say, from New York to San Francisco. They took that down to about seven days. Wow. So it was earth-shattering. Now, about this car, it was built by the Pullman Company in 1924, was in service up until 1967. It was on the, the, the fast mail, sometimes they call it the fast mail express, Los Angeles to Kansas City. It was a dedicated mail train. They would have usually a passenger coach on the back to qualify it as a passenger train for priority. All it would do is sort mail, and at every terminal it would be dropping off mail. In uh, locations where they did not have a terminal, they had a mail, uh, what we call a mail crane, a hook on the side of the car to pick up first-class mail from what we called a mail crane, uh, grab it while the train was flying through the station. They'd throw that in the car. They'd slam the door. They'd dump it on a sorting tray and start sorting. Can you tell our listeners any bit about what life would be like as a post office clerk on an RPO? It was hard work. They were post office. Now, to understand the the post office as we know it was different than it was the United States Post Office Department. It was a department of the federal government, unlike the U.S. Postal Service, which is a quasi-corporate structure. Um, 
It paid better than ordinary post office. I think the scales were about 10% higher. They were unionized. You worked very hard. You were on your feet the whole time. You had to maintain a 96% accuracy rate with your sorting to keep your job. I've actually got studies that they did in the 1890s, how they could boost their their accuracy rate by like one-tenth of a percent, how many millions of pieces that meant. They were very, uh, they were very scientific about it. Uh, there was anywhere from nine to 13 people on a car, and you had every mailbag, every mail slot memorized, and all you would do was sort, because if you left Los Angeles, if your next stop was, say, Fullerton, you'd better have everything that's getting off Fullerton sorted and ready to go. San Bernardino was a terminal. You better have everything sorted and ready to go. How, how much mail do you think they would get at any given time that would be they'd have to sort through before the next stop? Well, they sort of had a triage system, so next stop would take priority. But I found mailbags in that car that, that have European labels on them, so they, they went worldwide. Wow. Uh, they, I haven't really worked out the triage, but I've yeah. watched videos of these guys, and they're just like throwing things like they knew where it was supposed <laughs> to land. Um, interesting thing about these, uh, and it was all guys. If you look at the restroom facility, you can see why. The, uh, there was, like I said, typically about nine people working plus a supervisor. Interesting thing with them is they all had to be armed because you did not mess with the mail. <laughs> and the car for its time was basically an armored car. You get in it, you lock it from the inside. Wow. I'm locked in. The only way you're going to get it through it is a big, powerful saw or blow it up. And if you were dumb enough to get in, like in the movies, mm -hmm. the door was about the size of one person. So I'm a bad guy, and I've gotten to, through that armored door, I've got nine really angry guys all aiming right at me. It wasn't going to go very well. No. Wow. So it was, uh, and so anything secure, money, uh, gold, stock certificates, jewelry, anything of value went on these things. Mm -hmm. And I have seen pictures of them offloading a car, and you'll see the postal workers got the sidearm. You did not mess with the mail, period. I'm sure that having that car locked all the time could not be a pleasant experience during the summer. Well, it, it did have, for the time, air conditioning called ceiling vents, oh, and, <laughs> and there was oscillating fans, and so for the time, that's what you were used to. Yeah. Uh, the later ones would have been air conditioned, but... Moving along, I mean, you would have some ventilation. It wasn't like being in an oven. And I think there's about five oscillating fans up in the ceiling. So there was constant air circulation. So for these uh, mail pickups and drop-offs that were done via the crane, the train wouldn't actually stop? Nope. You go right through the station. They'd open the door. There was actually a windshield you'd put up. So, you know, you wouldn't get a lot of bugs in your teeth. And... You would lean out, you'd pull this hook up, and it's sort of a V-shape with kind of a, uh, a rounded shape at the end. The bag was tied in the middle with a leather strap, and so that way it caught it. It'd fold on both sides. There was a big rubber mat on the side of the car to keep from bashing that up, and then you would just drop that down. You'd pull the thing in and kick the, uh, kick the door shut. If you were dropping off, you quite literally just throw it out the door. Just do <laughs> now, understand, you only did that with first class. You know, you didn't really want to do it with package delivery. No. <laughs> so when did this RPO retire? 1967. And when did it come to the museum? I'm not sure on the year. I think it came shortly thereafter, but I don't have the exact year on that. What do you know the state it was received in? California. 
No, like mm. the, the, it's oh, the state. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> uh, pretty ratty. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it was, um, now I have not seen an image of it, but I can, there's a lot of rust damage in it, which was typical of these things because particularly when they're going into the Midwest and stuff, you know, they put salt on the roads and all that, that would get onto these cars. And so everything out here that's made out of steel, you'll see the sills are all badly rusted out. And it was painted for the, in fact, our two vintage coaches, um, our two vintage Pullman cars, and it were painted and partially cosmetically restored on the outside for the movie, The Changeling. Oh, okay. So that's why all those cars match. So that is not a correct Santa Fe color. So what would its color have been? It would have been a Pullman green, but a different shade. Okay. Because every railroad had a different idea of what that color was. Okay. <laughs> a different kind of green. So when did restoration really begin on this? Were you key in the beginning? No, I was late. What happened is it kind of went into abeyance. I, I don't remember the gentleman's name, but he collected a lot of artifacts. And he passed away. And it sort of went into limbo. And I sort of fell into it. I just walked into Car Barn 4 one day and I said, you need some help? And they walked me over there and said, finish it. <laughs> okay. So what have you done since taking on the project? Oh, Lordy. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> thorough cleaning, that was the first step. Uh, we went and had a lot of the hardware that was missing remanufactured. Found a metal shop over in Colton. We had to remanufacture two of the doors, only... One of the doors was actually operating. One was covered with a sheet of plywood. So we got all four doors operating. We uh, washed the mailbags, discovered what the real color was. <laughs> uh, we treated all the woodwork with linseed oil, replaced the, hard replaced the hardware and all the drawers, uh, located candle lamps. We found some in the car, some I found on eBay, some I got donated, but, but all the candle lamps are in position. Uh, we still got a ways to go. We got to do some work around the door frames. We replaced some window glass in the doors because it was plexiglass. So we had to go to a glass manufacturer and get glass that looked like it had the wire in it. And, mm -hmm. and I say we, uh, my friend Frank Lyman got involved in it about my third year because what was happening is I really was stumped. And I'd known Frank for years. He owned Sierra Wholesale Hardware. They made doors and windows, so he knew something about these. Okay. I'd call him up, ask him how to do something, you know, and he'd tell me how or send me over to his son's shop to get a part. And then he asked if I could give him and his friends a tour. And so I got to run one for him and gave him a tour. And then one day I called his wife, Karen, who I've known forever. And I says, would you get mad if I asked Frank to come down and sort of like help? Oh, no, no problem. I don't think she's ever forgiven me because he's been down just about every weekend since. <laughs> <laughs> what has been the most challenging part of this restoration? The doors. The doors. It's, it's like every time you dig in, something goes wrong. We decided early in the game, don't try to build the doors the way they built them. We didn't have the machinery. So we measured them went to a door manufacturer, had custom doors, all steel. They'll never rust. They'll never break. And they were the exact same dimensions, and they wouldn't fit in the door pocket. The other ones were so badly decayed, they'd shrunk. So we had to take the frame off the door pocket and found out that the frame, because of rust, the, or the, the track was warped. So we had to reposition that track so the thing would move. 
Oh, man. And we've had to do that. We got one done. We got to take the wall. We've got to basically take the wall out of one of them. Wow. And we'll fix it. Yeah. That's, that's difficult. What, what has been the most fun or the most rewarding part? Uh, the discoveries. Uh, we started getting into the drawers where they're, they're, you know, their their tools of the trade were stored. Mm-hmm. And you'd find things like the, the ink stamps. And these are big things, about four inches across. And then I got into some of their historical documents about how they studied the type of ink depending on the climate. It's hot and dry here. You've got to stamp the cancellation. That cancellation has to dry before you've thrown it into the mailbag mm. that's a matter of a split second yeah but in this dry climate what happens to the ink it dries out and they spent just you know all the, these trial and error to get something we think is very mundane down basically to a science the other thing was there was a lot of pictures in there now they were badly decayed uh one quite literally we had to pick up with a shovel took it to a friend of mine's uh a print shop and we put it on the frame and let uh, HP Photoshop go to work. And we got the images, unless the image was totally gone, and there we elected not to try to fill it in. I've got like a slideshow picture of the rail post office clerk um, union meeting in 1914 in San Francisco. You can see the buttons on their shirts. Wow. You know, you can see. Would these be the people that worked on this exact car? Some of them would have been. But I've got another set of images of their retirement dinner at the Hotel Roslyn, 1942. And every one of those people would have worked on the car. Wow. And that was badly decayed. And then I've got another where uh, just a collection of their signatures of people that worked in this district. You couldn't even read it. We brought them all back. So that's been, I think, the most exciting because... I can stand there and look at this person. I see their name and I say, I'm standing where you stood. Yeah. You know, so it's sort of haunting. And then you start digging in to their records and you see their timesheets and their rule books and their newsletter. And we also found a gigantic 48 state flag. Oh my goodness. So these items were just left, like these pictures must have just belonged to the employees who worked there at the time. Or like, why were these pictures on on this train well some of the stuff in the drawers uh it was because because i found their lunch boxes yeah you know uh their sorting practice uh, the sorting boxes they used for practice when the railway postal service ended it's just like okay we're done and they just left everything now the pictures were probably brought in by members over the years and the car leaked for a long time that's why a lot of them got damaged okay and so what we did is these images that are in there are not the original mm-hmm I've got a triple redundant digital copies, one in my office, one in my desk, one in my server at work, one at my printer's server, and the originals and digital copies are here at archives because I didn't want those ever lost. Yeah. I mean, that that leads me to something else I wanted to talk about that, you know, this is a really popular exhibit for people to go through. I know that the docents love showing it. Um, I know it's requested a lot. And the way it's set up is just really great. Um, it's set up exactly like it's in service still. So you look in it and it's like you're frozen in time. It's a really cool setup. So can you tell me a little bit about, about its setup? Well, it was set up, if you look, both ends of the car was where you took in mail and stored it, uh, either prior to sorting or you're getting ready to throw it out the next site. 
And then at the end that's closest to the uh, sleeper was the actually actual sorting desk. That's where you would get down to specific towns or maybe even what would be their equivalent of a zip code. And that's where those were sorted. And then the more bulk items were in the bags along all along both sides of the car. Mm-hmm. Every one of those had a label. And I actually found the boxes with the original labels. I will not put those out there too valuable. I will make new ones that look like them because I did. when they're gone, they're gone. Yeah. You know? And they also, uh, the overhead bins that you see, those were also labeled. That was for your bulk items, magazines, newspapers, small packages. Oh, okay. So everything had a place. And once again, you'd memorize it. Now, let's get back to this memorization. You would work in a district. So if I was leaving Los Angeles, probably the farthest I'd ever get was Barstow. Okay. But I knew everything that was supposed to happen. Mm-hmm. We would probably overnight at Barstow, we'd come back and we'd do everything backwards. And another crew would pick it up and go to the next terminal until it made its way to uh, to Kansas City. So you knew your route. Yeah. And, and But you'd probably be on two different RPOs. You'd be on the RPO that continues in one on, direction. Yeah, you'd get off one and get on the other get and on reverse. Another one. That's crazy. <laughs> well, it, it had a logic to it. I yeah. mean, it, it, they really had an incredible system. When you think that sorting by hand, you have a, had to have a 96% accuracy. They mm-hmm. actually did better than that. The millions of pieces. The Fast Mail Express could sort as much as 200 tons of mail between Los Angeles and Kansas City. Wow. That is just, you know, you can't even conceive of it. All done by hand all with his insane accuracy. That's really impressive. If any of our listeners are interested in getting involved with helping out with the RPO, how would they, or donating to it, how would they go about doing that? See me. Yeah? Yeah. (laughs) You're here almost every Saturday. I'm easy to find. I'm usually down there struggling with it unless I've been uh, drafted into an event or building benches or wherever else I'm pulled off to. But we always welcome help and... And I'm always glad to, to give a tour. I mean, I, if I'm down there working, somebody's interested, I just drop everything, show them around. It's definitely one of my favorite pieces here at the museum. I really, it's a very cool car. Well, thank you so much for taking the time. Is there anything else before we end that you want our listeners to know about the RPO? Well, I, I'd like to put it in terms that maybe uh, people more contemporary can understand. Think of an RPO as a big giant router, because what's a router do? Sends information to different places, except they did it basically mechanically. Mm -hmm. But after all, until we, you know, until the telephone rates got cheap enough and, and all the other modern communications, we communicated by mail. And these RPO crews could get a piece of anything anywhere else in the country in four or five days. And before that, it was months. It was months. It was absolutely, I mean, it was, and really, we were the only country that took that and ran with it. And it was really an amazing accomplishment. I had something else. They moved to uh, air service in the 60s. Mm-hmm. And I do remember this. I was just a young kid. All the RPOs were retired except a route from Washington to Baltimore because somebody had a powerful congressman. The airlines went on strike. All the mail went back on the trains. It made a one-day difference in delivery. Wow. The guys came back and they knew what to do. That's really impressive. 
it's a really important piece of history. So I think, you know, we're really lucky to have it at the museum and to have volunteers like you who've helped restore it and are able to tell its its history. Yeah. So thank you so much. And I mean, you've are, this is your second time talking with us here, and I know that you're involved with a lot more. So if, if you want to come back, I'm sure we have much more we could talk about. Oh, I'm about. sure you'll find something. Yeah. <laughs> thank you, Chuck. Thank you for joining me today. As you disembark, make sure to like, subscribe, and comment. And visit SoCalRailway.org to view past episodes, photo, video, and bonus material. And also let us know what you would like to hear, who you'd like to meet, and what we can do for the next Rail Pass episodes. 